You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Three, a two. Hey there, Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode. It's great to see you guys. It's really fun. We And speaking of fun, we've got a good one for you tonight. We have a great one. We have a historic episode for you tonight. Well, not historic about Earth Station One or anything, but it's historic because we are looking at History of the World, Part One. That's right. The Mel Brooks classic. We are reviewing and talking all about our favorite moments, our favorite bits, and the man who is history all the time. He is a historical figure in so many ways that when that you look up Howdy in the Future Dictionary, it'll have a picture of Mike Gordon because he is a classic. Classic what? We're still deciding. But it's Mike Gordon. Howdy, sir. Howdy. See? Told you, folks. How are you, my friend? It's good to be the king. It is good to be the king. It is. I just wish I knew how that felt. Mm-hmm. I hear that it's good to be the king, but, you know, I don't know if I, I haven't really experienced that much myself. So, so instead you're the piss boy. I'm, I'm much closer to being the piss boy than the king. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can see it. <laughs> I see it. Yeah, I can see it and smell it. Oh, do we ever. Yeah, good thing this movie doesn't have smell of vision. Oh, that would be bad. That is uh, Yeah, bad. that would oof, oof. It's been a while since I've seen this one, so it was actually a lot of fun to be able to talk about this one with you. Absolutely. And yeah, well, it's not, you know, uh it's not easy to find. Uh, I certainly had a tough time trying to stream it somewhere with all my streaming services. So, uh this is a uh, one that's probably a little bit more uh, difficult for you to get a hold of. Uh, but it's totally worth it. Um, as you will hear later, uh, there's a lot of good things about this movie. So mm, definitely. So we might have def- to up the rating of the podcast though. Yeah. We might get a little adult. <laughs> we might have <laughs> might get a little blue. Oh yeah. Or that, or I'll just be bleeping quite a bit. <sighs> I don't know if I really want to do that. My fingers get tired from doing that all the time, but it should be a lot of fun. So we will be talking all about that this week. And we definitely would love to hear from you. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. Definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us all the time. Write us often. Write us what your thoughts on our Mel Brooks movies. Tell us what you're doing with your spring. We definitely would love to hear all about it. And as we always like to say, you could find our show up on Apple Podcasts. You could find us on Google and Amazon. That's right. Amazon Podcasts. We are up there. Just go, hey, Alexa, play the Earth Station One podcast. And we will. So it's pretty darn awesome. And you're welcome. It's been a while since I've done that. So, you know, I figured, you know, everyone's Alexa needed some kind of exercise tonight. So definitely please check us out. And we definitely would love to have you tell your friends and neighbors about us. We'd really, really appreciate it. Also, of course, let's give a big shout out to our patrons. Let's say hi to all our new patrons that we've been getting. We've gotten quite a few over the last month or two. And want to say thank you, thank you to everyone who has been joining us. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. And you too could become a supporter of the ESO Network, which Earth Station One is a proud member of. So definitely check out patreon.com slash ESO Network. Also, let's say howdy to our 
sponsor, our friends, our neighbors at Tifosi Optics. That's right. Tifosi Optical is around to give you sunglasses joy. What do I mean by sunglasses joy? You could pick your own kind of sunglasses. That's right, folks. Any kind of style, any kind of color, any kind of frame. It's so frippin' awesome that you could even pick out, you know, purple lenses with yellow frames or orange and green or whatever you want. You could do really ugly colors. You could do really cool colors, you know, or you could do the ESO colors. That would even be awesome. Show your ESO love. And we'll give you a coupon code at the end of this ad that will help give you 10% off. That's right, folks, 10% off. With the weather getting better, Tifosi Optics is the place to go for sunglasses. Helps shield your eyes. And if you have a prescription, say you have astigmatism or something, or you have, you know, you need to get your lenses a certain way, Tifosi Optics can handle that. That's right, folks. Check out Tifosi Optics, and if you go into the coupon code in Illustration 1, guess what, folks? You could help support us by getting 10% off your order. Not just one pair of glasses, your whole order. That's right, Illustration 1 in the coupon code at TifosiOptics.com. And now we're here with our new friend, Jerry Ma. Welcome to the show, Mr. Comic Creator. How are you? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me here. This yeah, cool. well... Yeah, welcome to the station. Um, for those people who may not be familiar with you and your work, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, well, I'm a New York-based graphic designer and illustrator. So I make the brunt of my living really designing graphics for T-shirts. Uh, I do some, you know, some comic work. I do some uh, one-sheet movie posters. Uh, basically, as a freelance illustrator designer, you'll do whatever you can, right? Yeah, so uh, I guess the bigger projects I'm working on right now are a line of graphic tees for the NBPA in China, uh, which is the NBA Players Association. Um, and I'm also doing a um, CD package illustration design for uh, Vibe Magazine Hong Kong. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And of course, uh, this Kickstarter comic, The Monkey King. Kickstarter comic of the, yes, of the, uh, the fable of the monkey King. Uh, I want to get to that in a minute. Um, as far as, is this your, is this your first, uh, sort of foray into doing your own comic? Uh, actually I have been self-publishing comics since, yeesh, it's a little embarrassing, probably since <laughs> 2001, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Far back as All right. then. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've, uh, but like I said, I, I'm really for, I've been working as a graphic designer for, oh my God, I guess like 20 years now. <laughs> 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 uh, maybe even more. Jeez, I, I got to If you need a minute it. to process that, we can, you know, <laughs> we can wait. Uh, I, I, I know how that feels, especially since the last year has felt like, you know, 10 years. Yeah, my, my whole sense of time has gone right out the window because of 2020 just being like flushed down the toilet, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that completely. Um, so, um, but the newest one that you're working on is, uh, is a full blown, um, sort of adaptation, updating, right. Interpretation mm -hmm. of, uh, the fable of the monkey King, uh, for those people who, and, and me a little bit, I mean, I'm familiar with the monkey King, but exactly what is the tale? So the monkey King is, I mean, it is a cherished Chinese mythical story. It's essentially the first Asian superhero, if you will, before Bruce Lee, before Jackie Chan, there was the monkey King, you know? Um, the Monkey King is a tale of, in China, they were, you know, falling apart and they had to, the, the emperor of China wanted to destroy China altogether. 
But rather than do that, he was convinced to let a monk named Tripitaka make a journey out west, which was actually to India, to make the discovery of Buddhism and bring those teachings back to China to save China from itself. So my, so, okay, The Monkey King, if it's really easy, you can go to Netflix, Amazon Prime, just do a quick search and you'll see like, I don't know, a hundred different reboots of it, you know? Right. The Monkey King gets rebooted, I want to say like three to five times a year. Each mm-hmm. version of the story, they focus more and more on the Kung Fu and action of it, which of course makes sense. But at the same time, you're kind of losing the main gist of the story, which I think is more like adventure and, and magic. So I have made a modernized urban take on it. I, I've put the Monkey King in Chinatown, New York. And, uh, rather, and their journey west is actually going to be to Chinatown, San Francisco. And they will hit like every Chinatown along the way take what they learned from that trip and bring it back to New York to save New York from itself. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, you mentioned that uh, there are lots of adaptations of this. Are there any that are particularly that you're particularly fond of or were inspiring to you? Oh yeah. The, uh, I mean, there's, like I said, there's, I mean, there's a lot of bad adaptations of it. Right. I mean, like really bad, especially the more recent ones. Um, but my favorite is a Chinese odyssey by Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow, you probably know him from Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu mm-hmm. Hustle. So this is before he became Stephen Chow, you know. And he was still, uh, I don't want to say aspiring, because he's still a big deal, at least in Asia, but not here in, in, in the States yet. But that version, there's, I mean, that's playing on Amazon Prime for free. There, it's a two-part movie. So if you do watch it, like, prepare for, like, a four-hour, you know, right. uh, night. <laughs> but it's re- I, in my opinion, it's totally worth it. Oh, cool. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, and so, so now you're, you're casting your own lot in the, uh, in the adaptations. Um, and as you said, you've, uh, sort of inspired by, um, uh, well, you're, this is, uh, takes place in a modern setting. Mm-hmm. Is it modern or futuristic? Modern. So it's, okay. it's like much more urban. So like rather than every reboot now, they give the monkey King, like more intricate armor, more detailed weapons, things like that. I'm having him decide like which pair of Nikes matches his hoodie best. And, uh, <laughs> there's going to be like, there's a lot of graffiti. There's, you know, uh, there's karaoke. They ride giant pigeons. They fish for a giant arowana in the sky. Uh, it's a little bit more wacky. It's, I, I try to, you know, I would like to think of it as a, a blending of stranger things and cowboy bebop. Yeah. And I could definitely see that. Um, I'm looking at, uh, anybody who goes uh, to the uh, Kickstarter uh, can see samples of uh, the pages and everything, the artwork, the designs and everything. And I strongly suggest you guys do so. We'll have a link to the Kickstarter in our show notes so people can just click on that. Um, and uh, man, it, it looks really gorgeous, dude. Well, you know, I mean, uh, as I've been saying, I've been doing comics. I mean, self-publishing comics, I should say. Uh, it's been, you know, embarrassingly, it's been a little while. Um, there are pros and cons to doing it, as I'm sure you can agree with me on this, right? We, the pros are we can do anything we want. No one's telling us what's not cool and what isn't. So if, if I want to have them sing karaoke and eating dumplings, they're going to be singing karaoke and eating dumplings. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the cons, obviously, it, you get, uh, it, it's much harder to reach a bigger audience. And, you know, ha- having people, you know, help spread the word like you guys are is, is, 
half the battle for us, you know, as, as an independent creator. But I do believe that Kickstarter kind of lends itself to give, you know, everyone a fair shot at getting their work seen and created. So I am grateful for the platform. Yeah, I mean, it's helped. Uh, well, I mean, we've used it uh, time and time again, people that we interview. And and that's why we created a, a, a creative outlet segment to help word get out there, because it is it is more than anything now, I think, a, a very useful and now um, standard tool almost for independent creators. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of the way to self-publish books now, right? Yeah. Yeah. F you, Diamond. No, just kidding. <laughs> Well, you know, but, but the cool thing is, like I said, because we're, you know, doing this on our own, we're self-publishing, so we can do anything we want. And I've been very fortunate that I've got uh, varying covers by Jim Chung and Jeff ah. Darrow, who, in my opinion, those are like, I, I think they're they're kind of a big deal. <laughs> you know, like, no, Jim, I've had the pleasure of meeting a few times and, and I, I, yeah, I hold him in absolute high regard as far as his artwork and uh and yeah the variant cover by him it, the the work in progress that you show it's not in color yet but it looks gorgeous so i would expect nothing less um yeah. and i i do see some jeff darrow influence on these pages of yours yeah you know so this all started um actually like i got to do three things in 2020 and one of them was i had an art show at uh the pearl rivermark gallery here in chinatown new york and that show was about the Monkey King in like 80s, 90s Chinatown, New York. And before I started that project, I was actually in Taipei in 20, I guess 2019 now, the summer, creating the artwork with Bernard Chang. He, we were out there for a comic show in Taiwan. And he asked me, like, what was I trying to do with it? And I was like, you know, I'm just going to fucking do my best Jeff Darrow on these pieces. I'm going to draw every goddamn brick. I'm going to draw every little, you know, every little crack in, in the wall, everything. I'm going to do the, my best Jeff Darrow interpretation, you know? So it is pretty cool that I was able to get Jeff Darrow to do a cover. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that, that first sample page of the, uh, uh, of the creature, like flying up above the buildings, you know, with the, the little sky bridge there, the little, uh, uh, yeah, it's just like, I'm like, yeah, that, that's Jeff Darrow all the way right there. Um, uh, so very cool. Well, this is a great project. Um, there is a lot of time, uh, to uh, get involved with this. So we do, um, ask our listeners to do that. And like, look, as we've said before, um, but it bears repeating, um, you know, um, Jerry's already reached a goal, you know, but, um, that doesn't mean that like he's done. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it's over. Like um, uh, there's still an opportunity to a get the book, uh, and this is a great way to get the book and support the artist directly. But also, there's lots of uh, different um, you know um, add-ons that you can get, and uh, well, the team itself uh, gets rewarded by this even more. And you've got, I mean, quite a great team associated with this as well. Yeah, and actually, the one thing that I think all of us are pretty proud of is our stretch goals, yes. which we're actually going to be giving, we're going to be literally hand delivering cash to small businesses in Chinatown, New York, because as you guys have probably heard, you know, there's been a lot of uh, Asian racism, you know, actually I've known about it since forever, but it <laughs> seems like the rest of domestic America is catching up. You know, I, I figured at some point this year, although it's been pretty bad, 
since uh, January 2020. Mm. Uh, but that being said, a lot of Asian businesses are suffering now. And since my book is really, I mean, it really is about Chinatown, New York. So it only felt proper to, uh, you know, try to give back to the community. Um, uh, by no means am I planning on getting rich from this book. So whatever money that's going to come in, I, I mean, I'm going to try to pay everyone, you know, very adequately who's contributed and then pay for the printing. And then with the rest, I kind of want to try and help these small businesses in, in Chinatown and, and try to let them know that they're not forgotten, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's a, it's a great concept. It's a great looking book. Um, and it's done by some extremely talented folks and it's for a good cause. How can you say no? Like, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah, you can't, you can't, there's no reason to not get involved with this project. So like I said, we're going to have a link to it in our show notes and uh, Mike, I, I think he's ready for the uh, the geek seat treatment now. <laughs> uh, he's laughing very nervously. I could tell he's getting ready for the geek seat <laughs> Exactly. He's like, uh, what did I talk myself into? I'm just trying to figure out. So, Jerry. Jerry, my new friend. Are you ready to go into the geek seat? Hell yeah, man. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, I love it. Eager. This is a good thing. This is a really, really good thing. All right, Jerry. The first question is, what was your favorite geek out moment? Well, you know, so when, growing up, my family, we didn't have too much money. So me and my brothers, we always had to pool our allowance. Here. I have two brothers, sorry. And our allowance was a dollar each a week. So, you know, you can't really do too much with a dollar. But with three dollars back then, we could get comic books because sure. we could get multiple comics. So I remember going to, uh, you know, back, we didn't really have access to comic stores. So we were just going to like the, uh, candy magazine shop. And my, the, I remember the first thing I saw was Power Man and Iron Fist. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, like I, I honestly, I thought Iron Fist was Chinese. I didn't care what anyone said. <laughs> Iron Fist was Chinese to, to me and my brothers, you know? And we were like, there's a Chinese guy doing Kung Fu on a comic book. And we were just like, we gotta have it, you know? So, uh, that was so much fun, and that Power Man Iron Fist is basically what what got me into comics. That is awesome. That is <laughs> awesome. What version of it was it that you were seeing? Well, you so, know, so I, I hold most fondly the John Byrne issues, like the Iron Fist series. Yeah, I mean, John Byrne to me is, I don't care what anyone says, there's no one better, you know. John Byrne in his prime, I'm sorry, nothing touches him, you know. No, I, you're not, you're here not hearing argument from either of us. <laughs> nope. You know, nope. You you hit it right on the head there. That is awesome. <laughs> I wonder what would have loved to see in the picture of your face as though when he took the mask off and he was blonde hair. Yeah, it was, it was like, like ah, whatever it meant, he's still Chinese. We're just- <laughs> 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 and, you know, I remember our second heartbreak was Snake Eyes when we also just assumed he was Chinese. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, he's white too? We're like, no, he's still Chinese. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Disappointing? Um, I would say any of the Marvel shows from Netflix, any and all, including Daredevil and Punisher. I know those are like the two big ones. Wow. Those, to me, were all tremendous letdowns. Um, mm. I just I can't help it. They're like unbearable to me. Okay. Well, this interview is over, so you know. We'll... <laughs> I guess any DC movie as well, not directed by Christopher Nolan, is probably a pretty big letdown as well. Okay. That's a, one of our number one answers, so it's okay. So. <laughs> what geeks you out the most? 
you know, I, I have many, 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 many uh, hobbies. I collect. I'm, I'm a collector. So I, I collect, you know, I still collect Blu-ray discs, you know. Um, I still I collect sneakers. I collect whiskey. Um, I could tell I behind comics. you. <laughs> 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 I, I like comics, toys. Like, I mean, I'm big into collecting. So I'm, I'm pretty nerdy when it comes to, like, getting my hands on things. Um, I, I own too much crap for my own good, especially in a New York-sized apartment. So, uh, you know, right now, recently, I've been – my my trend of the moment is I've been painting my own sneakers. So I already own like 300 pairs of sneakers. And now that I've been painting them, I'm just buying all these blank sneakers to start painting. And it's, it's kind of ridiculous because I, I, I literally, before I got on here, I ordered, I think four more pairs of white sneakers for me to paint like later this year. Oh, that's awesome though. That is cool. <laughs> So in the next episode of Hoarders, we'll be seeing your apartment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Too much collecting for your own good. I cannot relate to that at all. I have I could, no, no idea what that what that would be like. That's I mean, why Jerry. That's why Jerry was impressed with your room, Mike. Come exactly. on. <laughs> this See, is just a, this is just one of those fake backdrops. It's really just a blank wall behind me. What turns your geek off, Jerry? Uh, you know, uh, haters, first of all, what, what I hate is, um, people that want to talk about comics, especially because of the, the whole movie thing. Now, since Hollywood's made comics cool, I kind of hate, I can't help it. Maybe I'm, that's fanboy me. I kind of hate when, uh, people that don't read comics are telling you all about the comic, you know, like mm. now that they're the expert because they've seen Robert Downey as Iron Man like five times. So they now think they can, they know the whole history and mythos of, you know, the Avengers because they saw Endgame, you know, that, that kind of does get on my nerves. <laughs> no, I totally understand that. And that's pretty, you know, pretty up there with our number one answer. Cause you know, it's haters will hate. And you know, then you get the people who think they're the experts and, you know, let them have their fan fandom and everything. But we know what's real and what not real, right? Oh, also, actually, my sister-in-law mentioned something to me very important yesterday on Mother's Day. What? She said, uh, and this is her big thing, and I might just steal this from her. She's more than willing to hang out with people that don't drink. And she's more than willing to hang out with people that don't eat meat. But if you don't eat meat and you don't drink, she cannot have it. Like, <laughs> go find yourself a new <laughs> Together? Uh-uh. Yeah. That's it. So uh-uh. that's what I hate as well. If you don't drink, that's okay. I can handle it. If you don't eat meat, that's okay too. I can handle it. But if you don't do either of them, like if you don't do both of them, then seriously, go get yourself a new friend. Wow, dude. And, it, and it's not the choices. It's the fact that you have to remind everybody. Every five exactly. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> you go ahead. You go eat that cheeseburger and have a beer. I'll just sit over here in the corner with my veggie sprouts and Perrier. It's okay. Yeah, I hate those people too, so it's okay. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Well, probably, you know, or this is probably pretty lame for me, but uh, since I was a big John Byrne fan, you know, growing up, his Alpha Flight, when he drew uh, Aurora, I gotta say, I had I had the biggest the biggest crush on the way John Byrne drew her. I was just like, wow, she's really pretty. So if I could meet her, I'd like to buy her a drink. <laughs> she probably would take you up on it too. She's, But she's a vegetarian, so you might have some trouble right there. 
<laughs> what fictional character would you not like to meet? Crap. I don't know. <laughs> I think I've kind of, you know, like, I was like, Dr. Doom would be awesome to me. Um, Beta Ray Bill would be awesome to me. Uh, Modoc would be a lot of fun to me. Uh, um, I guess I wouldn't want to meet, um, what's her name? Uh, Medusa, that, that, that wouldn't be very, yeah. That yeah, be I could see that. <laughs> that I could see. Okay, fair enough right there. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Sweet Christmas. <laughs> I could see it. I could understand that. I always loved that. And I even loved hearing him say it in the TV show, too. What is your ideal geek occupation? I mean, I, I, th I think drawing comics would be pretty awesome. Uh, maybe uh, the only job I think that might be more fun would be character designing for video games, right? That, that's got to be like the ultimate job. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty darn awesome. What geek occupation maybe, would you not professional like? Professional Dungeon Master would be pretty, pretty awesome also. What geek occupation would you not like to do, though? Mm. I wouldn't want to have to uh, check people in online at the uh, comic conventions. I think that is. Oh, that's a thankless job. I think, right honestly, those, I, I feel really bad for those guys. They stand there and get absolutely zero love. They only get people angry at them. They, you know, if they do an awesome job, no one cares. They only get people angry at them. That's something I appreciate those people so much for everything that they do at every convention. And, uh, just be nice to the people that work at conventions, I would say. Nope. Yeah, it is awesome. That is totally like I can't picture doing that. Especially in the old days where you had to look on a list. You didn't even have a computer screen or anything. <laughs> you know, we used to go when we used to have to buy tickets at Dragon Con and such, and they used to do have to do it manually. They had the literally the line to get in to get your badge was wrapped around the hotel at least four times. It was just like, no, I don't want to be the person having to, you know, find yeah, the badge. Like, I think you get that job and you're like, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to get to hang out the con. I'm getting in for free. And then next thing you know, you're just standing there at the entrance for like five hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like, no, 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 no. No, that's a thankless job. All right, Jerry, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Jerry Ma. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? You know, so I, I will say I kind of got it when I did my first uh, Kickstarter book, which was Legend. Uh, this book right behind me, actually. And one, my, my single favorite comic of all time is Teen Titans X-Men by Walt Simonson. And uh, I've been really fortunate to become friends with Walt over the, the years. So when I did that book, which was my first, like I said, my first Kickstarter book, uh, I got covers by Walt Simonson, Cliff Chang, John Paul Leon, uh, Jeff Darrow, Bernard Chang, Sean Chen, uh, and my friend Ken Newton. And I would say that was like just getting that collection of artwork really, I didn't even care how, how successful or unsuccessful the book was going to be. You know, like as far as I was concerned, it was already amazing. You know? So that, that was my first time ever having people of that caliber contributing to, to a book that I was working on. And that was just unbelievable, you know? Uh, no, sure. It totally makes sense. That's pretty darn awesome. 
Well, Jerry, I got some great news for you. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. <laughs> you look at you, man. <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $16.48. I'm sorry. You can't buy a pair of shoes for that. Not even shoelaces, really. Uh, but <laughs> not the shoes he gets. Uh-uh. No way. No, that no not at all. Close. Not at all. But, uh, dude, it's been really great having you on the show. Uh, That's good so luck with the, the Kickstarter. I mean, I, like I said, I know you're already there. But, man, um, uh, the project looks really good. And uh, hopefully we can get some more people checking that out for you as well. The link for that is going to be in our show notes. If uh, people want to check out other things you're doing, keep up with you, where should people go online? Uh, you know, I guess I'm most active on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Epic Props. I do have a website, just epicprops.com. Uh, okay. But shockingly, I, I'm more active on Instagram than I am on my own website, just because it's a little bit easier to do. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have a link to that as well. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks so much, guys. That is awesome. Thanks, Jerry. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back in a moment with History of the World Part 1. That's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. It's a weird feeling to be coming into what should be our second summer movie season in a row. That's really not a normal summer movie season. Of course, last year, we were just getting started in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And things are still going on this summer. So... It's one of those things, sometimes you don't realize how much you appreciate something until it's gone. Just how summer movie season was one of my favorite times of the year. I would get super hyped about it. I love doing the ESO, Summer Movie Preview Podcast, probably my favorite podcast each year. And it's just been kind of sad not to have that experience. We do still have some movies that are scheduled to come out in theaters this summer. But again, I... Don't know that we can count on them. They could move based on how the pandemic develops. People are getting vaccinated. That's awesome. But again, we're just kind of in uncharted territory here. We don't know how things will go. But later in the summer, we could be getting some new movies. So I'm going to continue to keep an eye on those. Some of the ones I'm most looking forward to are A Quiet Place Part 2. The first one was a great horror thriller so I'm curious about the sequel I didn't think the first one particularly needed a sequel but it'll be interesting to see it regardless um there's another Fast and Furious movie the uh Disney villain story Cruella really curious about this one sort of looks like she's a Disney-fied Harley Quinn uh Cruella DeVille is not a very sympathetic villain so it'll be interesting to see if this tries to sympathize her or just lets her be bad, and this is just a villain origin story. Black Widow, maybe we'll finally get to see it. Who knows? Uh, the Suicide Squad, Jungle Cruise. So I am encouraged to see that some of these movies are going to be coming out on streaming as well. I think that's just great to allow people to have equal access. And so hopefully we'll have some fun movies to talk about this summer. Uh, real quick on streaming, The Bad Batch on Disney+, Plus, the new Star Wars animated series, that's kind of a spinoff of the Clone Wars animated series, has been really good. 
I've always personally really enjoyed clone-focused storytelling in Star Wars, giving them personalities, their own kind of hopes and dreams, and The Bad Batch is delivering exactly what I wanted. So it looks like it has some intriguing mysteries to unravel throughout the season. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. Are you tired of podcasts only covering good movies or bad movies? Where could you possibly turn to find both in one convenient place? There has got to be a better way. Well, now there is. Try the podcast Double-Edged Double Bill, where Adam and Thomas dive into both a good and a bad film in every episode. Sound too good to be true? Well, listen to this testimonial. Double-Edged Double Bill got me to watch Total Recall and Junior in one night. I was both entertained and scarred permanently. Thanks, Double-Edged Double Bill. Available now on the ESO Network and wherever podcasts are streamed. From the naked dawn of man to the magnificence of the Bible. The Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, 10, 10 commandments. From the glory that was Rome to the dark evils of the Spanish Inquisition. For now begins the Inquisition. To the French Revolution with its squalor and its splendor. The peasants may grow violent. They are my people. I am their sovereign. I love them. Oh! History of the World, Part 1, starring... Screw the beta king. More women! More wine! More! I can't submit to the king. Last one. Oh, that's let's oh. Chip, you're beautiful. Stop you? it! Let's end this meeting on a high note. Hey, what country are you from? Ethiopia. What part? 125th Street. Oh. I'm Miriam. I'm a vest virgin. I'm really sorry to hear that. Should have been here over 30 grains ago. Please manage me. Gee, I just ate. Drama. Do you require a blindfold? None. Have you any last words? None. Test. Dunk your teeth. Hold. Action. Romance. Say when? 8.30. Spectacle. The Inquisition. What a show. We know you're wishing that we go away. But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay. Mel Brooks, History of the World, Part 1. Ten million years in the making. Hey everyone, welcome back. Before we get into the main topic, let us check out our friends over at Inked Marketing. They have a Kickstarter that they're promoting. That's right, folks. Come check out some kaiju monster action and join like on his adventure in fighting kaiju. Ike is a five-year-old who must train to become the best monster hunter ever. 
Come find out how Ike will balance leading to read and fight off mythical American monsters like Chupacabra and Momo. You can find that at Inked Publishing. And of course, it's inked.pub slash American Kaiju. Check it out. Definitely worth looking at. It looks like a ton of fun and should be uh, getting close to its final. So please help it push it over the line. American Kaiju brought to you by Inked Marketing. All right, Mikey, it's time for history. You ready for a history lesson? We are. We are deeping deep into the history of the world. Only part one. Uh, so, um, and of course, uh, this is a movie that came out in 1981. So uh, we're going back quite a bit. Um, and uh, we've got uh, one half of our movie crew here. Alex Autry is back with us. Alex, welcome. It is a pleasure to be here as always. Seems like it's been a couple weeks. Are you doing <laughs> all right? <laughs> yeah, I was able to stand up, stretch my legs, get out of the uh, get out of the satellite, and yeah, yeah we're we're in good shape. Awesome. Uh, we also have with us uh, joining us from another part of the ESO network, one half of the Double Edge Double Bill crew. We've got Thomas with us. Thomas, welcome, welcome back to the show. You've been it's been a while for you as well. Yes, it's been a bit, but you couldn't talk me out of coming onto this one. Oh, really? Yes. Well, we tried. We really did. We yes. tried several times. <laughs> I tried putting a notice saying that, you know, hey, we need somebody. Before I think I finished hitting enter, Tom was writing, I'll be there. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll get into it. Uh, Alex, we'll start with you first. Now, this movie, uh, when it came out in ni- 1981, had um, really a rough first weekend um, because it had some tough competition. Yeah, it uh, its opening weekend was actually, you know, all things considered, it's not the worst possible. Um, it, it did four point eight nine two million um, in its opening weekend, but that was only fifteen percent of the total gross. Um, it wound up being fairly strong for the rest of its run, um, being the number seven movie domestically for nineteen eighty one. That is pretty solid. That is pretty solid, especially since it got no good reviews. Um, no, <laughs> but but when you open the same day as Raiders of the Lost Ark and Clash of the Titans, and then what the weekend after that is Superman two, man, you're gonna have a rough time. <laughs> yeah, but it wound up being it wound up being counter programming because Superman two, Clash, and uh, Raiders were all your adventure stuff. There was really no other big comedies at that time, and we were still going off of you know, the various successes of the seventies that, that Brooks had. So um, it really wound up having legs because it was something people could see if they weren't interested in seeing one of the big action films uh, of the time or clash of the Titans. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my understanding is that the first weekend it was fourth, uh, of course, Raiders Mm -hmm. and clash of Titans were one and two. And then third was uh, another comedy Cheech and Chong's nice dreams, which we're doing next week. No, just kidding. Um, Um, so as we cover the, the, the hits of 1981, uh, no, just kidding. Um, all right. So, um, it opened in the theaters. I was busy seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark and Clash of the Titans. So I did not see this until it hit cable, at which point I watched it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, but I will have to say, I have not seen it probably in a couple of decades now. This is the first time I've seen it in a long time. So, uh, I was surprised how much I remembered and how how crude it was. 
<laughs> or crude it is. Um, and that's, that's not a bad thing. I'm not mentioning, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I, boy, right in the first minute you go, oh, this is really crude. Um, but uh, uh, Thomas, what's your experience? What's your uh, history with this movie? Um, I wasn't around for its theatrical release. I'm a bit younger than the rest of you guys, but um, rub this it was in. A- rub it in. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> hey, look, we got a new Ashley. Um, <laughs> um, this this was one of the ones definitely that uh, I watched uh, because I I became a huge Brooks fan, especially like in uh, later in high school, I would say, or around late early high school, honestly, because I I loved some of the the bigger ones like uh, Young Frankenstein or The Producers when I was younger than that, even far too young to see those. And then gradually I caught up on the other ones. And um, I think, yeah, this is the one that I probably watched the most of like sort of the um, not quite as celebrated as the bigger ones, Mel Brooks, like the mid-tier Brookses, I would say I've watched this one the most. I think it's because it's his big particular sketch film as opposed to doing like an actual ongoing story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his his uh, history with sketch comedy, um, your show of shows and whatnot, really comes into play in this in this movie. Um, but uh, Alex, what about you? What uh, what's your history with this movie? Um, what's my history with history in the world? Part one. I like exactly. That. I'm only going to tell you the first part. Um, <laughs> I was born a child. No. Um, yeah, this is a, this is one that uh, that I found on cable. Um, I remember the ads for it more than anything else. Yes. Um, because Man, the, there was a lot of them. <laughs> and the big thing about it, the big punchline on every one of them is I bring you these 15, thud, 10, 10 commandments. That was in every single trailer. Every single one of them. Uh, it's, it, you know, which is, it, it's, it's incredibly funny. I'm, 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 I'm fine with that. But that, that and was, the Roman with the ghetto blaster. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, these were things that just, you know, um, uh, like it, it permeated everywhere because they did a hard advertising blitz for it. Um, but I didn't see, I, again, God bless HBO in the eighties. Uh, cause that was where you got to see all the movies that you just didn't get to see. And I think it's hysterical that I didn't see this one in theaters. I saw Arthur in theaters. I saw airplane in theaters. I this one, the not so much, you know? Yeah, so. well, this one was uh, this one was outside of my like it was, it was R, a hard R. Yeah, it was a very hard R, and and uh, I was not uh, of age at that point, so I would not have been able to get out on my own. Um, Mike, what about you? What uh, what's your history with history? Well, the history of history was this was actually the first Mel Brooks movie I actually got to see in the theaters. Hey, uh, so you're the guy. I was the one, and. It was, I was what, 14 at the time. And so it was, you know, it was right at my wheelhouse. I was laughing my ass off, even at the stupid stuff, which is half the movie. But it was a lot of it also went over my head at that time. And until I was much older, it was just like, oh, I get it. You know, that type of thing. So, and it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it. It was, it was a neat experience to do. And the last time I probably saw this was at least, I want to say probably 10 years ago when I showed it to William for the first time, Mm. we started going through Mel Brooks movies and, you know, I think Young Frankenstein was the first one I showed him. Oh, wow. And... Then, you know, I think, I, I think this was the one, the second one. 
and then Spaceballs, I think, right after, right together with it, because he was such a big Star Wars fan and everything. So, I, I think um, I think Young Frankenstein is probably uh, the Mel Brooks feeder drug uh, as far as as getting into Mel Brooks films. Um, you kind of see that and go, okay, one great movie, two hysterical for no reason. Um, and then that feeds you into others like Spaceballs, History of the World, uh, things like that. So it's it's interesting when you hear that this was the first Mel Brooks film mm-hmm. uh, exactly. for somebody. And, you know, I had to wait till he was like 14 or 15 till I showed him Blazing Saddles. So. <laughs> well, I was about to say, that wasn't on your list at all. What happened there? Uh, you so. know, that's that's interesting you say that because you said, yeah, th- th- when, I was, uh, when I was of that age, right, you know, when I when this came along in 81 – I'm the perfect age for this movie. I mean, the juvenile humor in it. Oh yeah. I, I'm, this is, you know, it, it's like, <laughs> you know, like I'm just like Beavis and Butthead watching this movie. Um, and it is like, you know, from the first minute it, it's, it's as crude as hell. And uh, I mean, and it's nonstop crudeness. I would say I'm surprised that you waited or I'm surprised that you showed William this before Blazing Saddles. Cause I think this is his crudest movie. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think so. Well, I also didn't show him Blazing Saddles because of the racism and such also. And, you know, that was just, you know. There's racism in this movie, too. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> to, a, to a point, yes, but not nowhere near as much as Blazing Saddles. Sure, sure. sure. And now they made fun of everybody in this movie, but then again, they did in Blazing Saddles also. But that into this one, there wasn't just one group that they focused on the Jews, but I'm not going to say anything about that. So, Oh, really? The, 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 the Jews in space, uh, Jews in Jews space. In... Let's see. Jews everywhere. Oh, there's Jews uh, everywhere in this one. You know, <laughs> Hey, I'm sorry. Does Mel Brooks make Jewish Jews? You, you would be shocked. You know about that. <laughs> I am so, I'm floored. So you know. First only, time I'm only, hearing about it. Only one every five minutes. Exactly. Uh, I think that's the, I think that's the limit. Um, um, but it's an interesting point because, uh, yeah, you can't, especially this day and age, you can't really talk about this movie without addressing the fact that, look, this would this movie could not be made today. Like even five minutes of this movie could not be made today. Um, and for better or for worse, I think it's actually for worse um, because, yes, there's sexist jokes, there's racist jokes, there's there's crude as hell jokes. But I think they all come from a place of uh, of not hate um you know they they come from a place of uh fun uh for the most part um but i don't know do you guys have thoughts about that there is a uh mentality that came especially from the 70s and early 80s uh which was if you make fun of it it doesn't hurt as much and i think a lot of that comes from uh, uh people like uh, um, uh, Norman Lear and Mel Brooks, because they sat there and they said, look, look at these racists. They're really stupid. And if you think like them, you're probably just as stupid. And I think you, I, I think part of the, the, the culture we have now um, wouldn't see that as funny um, either because they're overly sensitive to what's going on or they're racists and they're stupid. 
so it, it's one of those things. So I, I think um, I think a lot of this movie could be made today, um, and it would probably have the same four million dollar opening weekend. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think I, I think that a film like this could still be made today. I don't think that it would get the cult following. Um, and you would need somebody like a Mel Brooks to direct it. And I don't think we have one right now. No, I agree with that. It's, it's hard because you can't really make fun like Mel did in this film. And he did it all the way across the board compared to even some of his other films. And it was, it was interesting because he called on all his friends for this one. It was like a who's who of who, what, of who's been in a Mel Brooks movie. I think the only two I think that were missing was Cleveland Little and Gene Wilder. And it would have been great to see both of them in this, but I was fully expecting to see them. I, I think for me, what what's interesting about it is I, I agree with that sentiment about like, oh, you couldn't make this movie today in just in terms of like, this is a movie that comes specifically from the culture it's made in, like any comedy does, honestly. And I think that's, it's a good thing we can't necessarily make this exact same movie today that we've evolved kind of past it in a way that I still really enjoy this movie. I still find it pretty fun, but I like that we can have comedy have its particular place in time. And can explore, like, maybe some jokes don't hold up as well. But I think the intent is so much more of what's the point. And I think Brooks always had the philosophy of punching up, which I think is more of the problem. Is that, like, the kind of humor we get that's vaguely similar to this now isn't always punching up. It tends to be more punching down. And I think that's the thing. This is a guy who, like, made his career by punching up at, like, Nazi Germany not even 20 or so years. Not too long after you know uh, world war ii and everything mm -hmm. so i think he has that same philosophy even as into the 80s with this yeah that's a that's a good point i i definitely see that and i see that uh um you know not just the the topic of the humor but just the the humor itself i mean he comes from a very post burlesque vaudeville type of humor which is just extinct now um so the way he tells jokes the timing and everything like that is just completely like, and the references that he makes, a lot of the, 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 the comedic references that he makes are lost on people now. Uh, we kind of remember them and sometimes you don't need them, but I mean, like he's definitely like, you know, the whole thing where he's performing in front of Caesar is, is this whole like tribute to uh, comedians of the past, Jewish comedians of the past. And yet that would be lost on everybody now. Like they're just, you know, but it was really relevant then. I right. mean, we all saw it then. We, there is no Borscht Belt anymore. There is no, you know, com the Jewish comedy tours and, you know, going up to the Catskills to see, you know, all these different comedians. And it was awesome to see them in this film. And that's what made it really awesome. And to see, because, you know, some of these actors that, you know, were in this, even like Henny Youngman and stuff like that they passed not that long after this. And so it was pretty awesome to see. Yeah. It was almost like a, he was sending like a love letter and giving these guys a check, you know, like, like, Hey, I know that uh, times are tough now or whatever you're getting older, but here's, here's some money. Um, all right. So this movie has an amazing cast. And uh, while I was watching it, I took notes 
And uh, look, um, this, uh, I don't want this to take too long, but unfortunately this list is huge. Uh, So we've got Mel Brooks is is in five roles, Mel Brooks himself. And I think this is, okay, this is not um, usually like the other classics that we've mentioned. He has like little appearances here and there. This is, this is Mel Brooks's movie. Um, uh, more so than most of the other ones that uh, he's made at this point, right? I mean, I think there's a like, I would argue high anxiety because he's like high anxiety, he's the main character all throughout that movie. 12 12 chairs as well, um, which I think is no, he's got two, yep, okay, so president's but um, um, but yeah, certainly not five roles. I think he's got like three or four in Spaceballs, is that right, or it's just the one. Two. Just the gotcha. two. All right. He's yogurt and the uh, emperor, President Screw. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so then it's followed up by you've got uh, so Mel Brooks is in five roles: Madeline Kahn, Harvey Corman, Cloris Leachman, Ron Carey. <sighs> Sorry, they need to take a break. Uh, Gregory Hines, Shecky Green, Sid Caesar, Orson Welles, Sammy Shore, Paul Mazursky, Henny Youngman, Hugh Hefner, and Playmates. <laughs> Uh, various Playboy playmates, um, some of which I recognize. Maybe I don't know. Uh, well, you know, maybe I'm, really, I'm Mike. Not that publicly. Uh, okay, uh, B. Arthur. Uh, that'll that'll calm everybody down. Um, Pat McCormick, Barry Levinson, John Hurt, uh, Jackie Mason, Jack Carter, Spike Milligan, John Hellerman, uh, Nigel Hawthorne, Bella Emberg, Ava Cadell, uh, Carl Reiner, um, and Cleo Rocos, who. Um, Cleo Rocco's, for those people who don't know, which most people probably don't know, she played uh, the second French girl. That, She's out of milk, uh, he says. Uh, waterboards um. and says it's good to be the king. And uh, she actually is not credited in the movie, but I had such a big crush on her that I uh, <laughs> I stalked her. No, just kidding. Um, Why but am I, I, I not she, surprised? It's amazing. <laughs> she, like, he... Uh, um so yeah that's uh that's that's what the age i was then and if there had been um an internet then i would have been much more in trouble and spending a lot more time doing that um so anyway um so uh and that's just like those are the ones i noticed right watching this uh there's plenty of other folks in there um is there anybody of note that uh that you guys want to particularly mention because like i said we don't have time to go through the whole list of characters but uh thomas we'll start with you is there anybody of uh in the cast that really stands out for you that you didn't name um <laughs> I, I think that my favorite is probably john hurt as jesus <laughs> because he has his british thespian sort of brilliance like put into such a dumb gag i think that's the thing is everyone is very very committed to these incredibly stupid bits and especially that whole just Jesus, yes, yes, yes. It's like, it's such a perfectly dedicated bit of acting to such an amazingly done. Oh, it was awesome, though. It's like, who wants the malt wine? Anyone want the malt wine? Judas, what? <laughs> One of you will betray me. Judas, what? Yeah, that's, that's such a, the timing in that scene is so good. And uh, again, like, like Thomas was saying, that like everybody just commits to it. Nobody is acting in this thing like it's the dumbest thing they've ever seen. No. Um, they're all playing it as straight as possible. And yeah, so it, it works. And then Art Martrano showing up as Leonardo. It was just awesome. We wanted to do a group photo. It's okay. <laughs> Can we get everybody on one side of the table? Exactly. Yeah. Anybody wants to be in the picture, that side of the table. <laughs> 
it's, yeah, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's not to say that everybody, yeah, they do take it seriously, but not to the point where, I mean, look, there's some major hams in this, right? Um, uh, Dom DeLuise hams it up big time. Uh, this is the same year that the first Cannonball Run movie comes out. And uh, so Dom DeLuise has like two uh, big, big movies that year. And, uh, you know, I sort of lump him with Captain Chaos a lot of times, but I recently got a chance to watch uh, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother, directed by uh, Gene Wilder and starring Gene Wilder. And I forget how good and how funny that guy is. I mean, he was he was amazing. Oh, there's so many roles he's amazing in. Um, fantastic timing. Yes. He, and he plays off other people. So um, I'm just recently taking improv classes. And one of the lines uh, that, that's really sticking with me is your job is to make the other person you're on stage with look better. And, and does, Dom DeLuise yeah. was the actor that did that. If you watch DeLuise, his whole aspect is to make the other person that he's with look as good as possible and when he did a bulk of movies with burt reynolds that was not easy Mm-mm. <laughs> well one's already going to look better physically right but yeah uh, you know but yeah he's not he he totally commits to the bit yeah. totally commits to the bit um alex is there somebody uh of note uh, that you want to mention from this movie y- you know honestly because especially because it's an uncredited role it's b arthur because <laughs> that whole sequence again is played straight what are you i'm a stand-up philosopher oh a bullshit artist <laughs> did you bullshit this week yes. yeah you know and did you try to bullshit yes you know uh yeah that would that is just such a funny role because for me i knew her as maud and this was what three four years before golden girls Oh, oh yeah, yeah. right than that. You know, so yeah, I guess you know. Um, so you, you have this moment where you know she pops on the screen, and for me, that was a big deal. I was going, oh my gosh, it's you know, it's B. Arthur. That's that's so funny, um, and she nails it. And of course, I you know, we can't do one of these without talking about Madeline Cox. Oh, Madeline was awesome. Madeline yeah. is. I don't know of anybody. There are there might be funnier actresses. There are sexier actresses, but I dare you to find a sexier, funny act, funnier actress. Like get that combination. Like even when she's introduced, her first scene where she's peeling the grape with her mouth or her teeth, I'm just like, how how can she be funny and sexy at the same time and make it look so easy? The no yes what? scene. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> that 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 is a phenomenal bit of comedic time, and I think it really is a testament to like. Brooks, obviously, whenever he did these movies, he usually tend to write the same three kind of female characters, which is either, like, the virgin, sort of sex-starved crazy lady, or the uh, uh, old crone type, which obviously Cloris Leachman also plays later in this. But it's a real testament, like, him plucking her um, and Cloris Leachman, some of these great other comedic talents that are female in this cast, just shows, like, he might not have been the best at writing female characters, but he could spot female comedian who were just brilliant oh and I think madeline is just example. amazing in every one of the roles she plays in his movies and she she lights up the screen literally anyone who says that women can't be funny just needs to look at a mel brooks film yeah sure. very yeah. much so 
Because they can take what Mel's written and make it funnier. Not only make it funnier, but to Thomas's point, make it so that it doesn't really feel as wrong. Like, you know, the way he's writing it, you look at it on paper and you're like, man, that's sexist. Like, why do you do it? Like, but yet delivering it, like, it just, they make it work. They make it work. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. And her timing is just impeccable. I would have to believe that, you know, they had the kind of relationship where if she didn't want to do something, she wouldn't do it. <laughs> like, like, so I would trust Madeline be like, Mel, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I could see it. Which, which makes you wonder where that line is. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Topeka. That's where that line is. It's in Topeka. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? Any, uh, any actor or character that stand out for you in this? Oh, geez. I know. No, it's, it's hard to, you know, pick which one you do, dude. This is like picking one of my favorite children, you know, and (laughs) it's just, it's tough because I love all the different characters in this. I love, you know, seeing, you know, Mel in all the different roles and, you know, how they all tie together. I, you know, and it's funny. I always pictured this movie having more scenes to it. I don't know why. It's just, but it's literally, you know, four or five. It's like, what, four or five scenes, you know, stories in it. I, I always picture yeah, my... Yeah, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, uh, five bits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Uh, yeah. Then the previews, so six total. Yeah, but for me, standing out right from the very beginning is Sid Caesar is amazing as the caveman. And yes, this. God, he's in shape. Oh, dude, he is like ripped. <laughs> it's just like, damn. I don't think I would appreciate it back then. I know I didn't appreciate it then, but now as like you know, I'm pushing like you know, in my fifties, I'm looking at him going, damn, that dude works out. Yeah, he's our age in this movie, dude. Just to yeah. go it that way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And just those scenes was great. And having Orson Welles narrating those scenes yes. is just awesome. It's just genius. And it is it's just it's great seeing, you know, there's not a lot of there's no lines really. None of the actors, you know, they're you know, I think it's all visual humor. It's all visual, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know. And you know, you you basically wasted half their special effects budget right there with the dinosaur, you know, picking up the comedian, you know, in that scene. And it's just like, okay, that's, there goes our budget right there. But it is, it's just awesome. It is, you know, if this was a Doctor Who episode, that would have been it right there for the whole story. (laughs) The, uh, the, um, uh, and the Stone Age sequence has that joke about uh, gay marriage where I'm like, wow, that's actually kind of progressive. Oh, very much so. <laughs> I, I had totally forgotten that was in there. And I'm like, oh, that that really works, Mel. You were ahead of your time on that one, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and not to mention with the we mentioned the dinosaur, but just throughout this whole movie, a big thing that like makes Brooks's comedies work as well. It's just everything is so silly what the characters are doing, but the set design and the costume oh. design looks like oh this is like a giant epic oh exactly you could tell epic. like some of the yeah. scenes where it was like a painted background or even mm-hmm. a painted yeah, use a lot uh, of matte, matte, painting. matte painting and stuff like where it was mostly all paint but it had one scene that was actually part of the movie and such but it was just gorgeous mm-hmm. it was really just amazing like straight out of spartacus mm-hmm. well exactly like a big biblical yeah and, and the kid this was an homage to those the the yeah. concept behind it was that you know and again Brooks is best when he's doing homages 
Um, so, you know, when he's doing something like this, where he truly loves what he's, what he's making fun of, uh, and it shows. Oh, but- um, so this is very Spartacus, very Ben Hur, very greatest story ever told. Oh, very much so. But um, even like the, yeah. the palace in France was beautiful. Mm-hmm. The, the grounds and everything, the giant chessboard where everyone jumped the queen. It was awesome. <laughs> and, you know, it was a joke I didn't get until like, you know, I was 14. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it was like, oh, they're all hum- Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And but it was it's good to be the kid. It is. And but you know, um actors but you know, there were some amazing actresses and actors. Um uh, Mary Margaret Humes, who played the Vestal Virgin Miriam, was awesome. And the actress they had playing uh the daughter who was trying to rescue the uh father from the castle and fr- from the king. Uh-huh. That that's Billy Connolly's wife. I didn't even realize that. Oh wow! Didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't think we can go too much farther though without really spotlighting. I think Gregory. Yeah, oh, was, was awesome. Thomas, you stole my thunder. I was just about to like. Okay, now we we have to mention yeah. Gregory, especially since he wasn't even supposed well, to be in this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because it was like a week before it was supposed to be Richard Pryor, and then he had his free base. That's when he, yeah, he, which he, got he, him. He caught yeah, on fire. Obviously, got him. <laughs> yeah, right. Richard Pryor walking down the street with a match. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Uh, but um. His joke, not I know, mine. I love but, that um, what, uh, but what I, I love about um, Gregory Hines in this movie is you can see so many facets of his talent where it's not just like, oh, great comedic time, but also even like when he's doing the dances, the soft shoe stuff, it's like, oh my God, this is like a really stupid bit about like you're doing like Hala Nagiva Hava. But at the same time, you're like, oh, this dude can really dance. It's like genuinely impressive dancing <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And I think, is this his first foray in the film? It's his debut film. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this would lead to, you know, Running Scared, that classic. So, um, oh, I was going to say White Knights. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, no, I think, I don't know which one of us wins that. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a push. Yeah. Neither one of us said tap, though. So. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> but no, Gregory Hines was, was amazing. And it's funny because it's one of these films where, um, I don't see because of his timing, because of of the beats that he takes. The um, do we have a place that this man can fill? Uh, ooh. Ooh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we could use another. I've got a corkscrew, and then you know, ooh, again, ooh. he's like, they have hip crowd. You know that line. Um, it would sound wrong coming from like a Cleavon Little, uh, because Cleavon was cool gregory hines was not <laughs> um so i mean it's just not as cool not as cool as cleveland little you know so i i think that you know they they struck gold uh with gregory hines i think this is uh uh just a fantastic performance yeah. and he really helped keep the whole movie together it would have been uh, yeah i mean i'm not you know i'm not saying that richard Pryor couldn't have done it and it would be, you know, an interesting thing to see in a different, you know, parallel universe. But a lot of a lot of f bombs. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, dude, my favorite, my favorite Jofi- uh, Josephus line is when he spots Oedipus and says, "Hey, motherfucker." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't get that for years. <laughs> I just realized it today. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, just like right when you said it, I was like, "Oh my god, that's funny." <laughs> 
Um, well, it's also just like, I, I think with a prior, he would have ended up, I think, looking too cool for that character. Yeah. He definitely yes. would have been far too, like, of like, oh, it, it's a role that's too small for a prior, as opposed to, you get the impression that he's even just, like, surprised by certain things. Like, my favorite bit is when he's just like, say when? 7.30. And then <laughs> yeah. he just looks over. The look of just, like, surprise that he has, like, the double yes. take is so perfect. <laughs> oh, and and the battle between... Mel Brooks and Gregory Hines, the fight in the, you know, at the palace. The gladiator, gladiator yeah. fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time he put the sword to it, ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is a play on on big time gladiator fights. Yeah. Uh, that is the gladiator fight to end all gladiator fights. <laughs> Beats the movie Gladiator, in my opinion. <laughs> so. um, uh, another joke I didn't get until watching it this time, actually was uh the the whole title um you know history of the world part one which i always thought was just kind of there you know obviously everybody asked mel brooks about a sequel there's you know scenes of a sequel at the end like a trailer for the sequel which you you knew kind of watching it that 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 wasn't going to come that was never a thing uh my favorite line about when asked about it was mel brooks said you know when asked if there was going to be a part two he said no he said definitely not uh, maybe a part four, but never a part two. <laughs> That's perfect. But but what he was basing it on was this uh, was uh, Sir Walter Raleigh's uh, History of the World, Volume One, that he only he didn't get to finish any more volumes because he was beheaded. And of course, this movie ends with the main character getting about to be beheaded until he's saved by a miracle. Um, and, uh, I just, I found that so funny this time. I was like, man, he, you know, uh, uh, no Brooks is like the whole thing's wrapped around a joke. There are like jokes within jokes within jokes. This has to, there's no, I mean, look, there might've been crude and there might've been some, you know, sexy girls in this and everything like that. But the fact of the matter is you watch this because every time you watch it, there's a different joke you're going to get because there's so many jokes being thrown at. Yeah, and I think even just the the fact that it has the sketch film nature of it, I think that's what makes this a bit more watchable to me than even, like, I like Silent Movie, I like High Anxiety, but I think Brooks even knows, like, okay, none of these can can, can sustain, like, a full Exactly. Feature. Like, even that's why I would argue, like, Rome and French Revolution are, like, the slightly weaker segments to me because they go on a bit too long, as opposed to, I would say, like, something that's beautiful and perfect is the Spanish Inquisition musical number. Because mm-hmm. it's just, like, it's a five-minute bit, and it's like you could not go any longer with this bit, but it's the perfect length exactly. You know, it's funny. It just kind of hit me. Do you know what? Do you know what this would have been wonderful as an HBO comedy series? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because you could do sketch comedy with crude behavior and beautiful women. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That's right um, up their alley. And, yeah, and and uh, <laughs> or maybe Showtime back in back in the eighties. Um, or Skinamax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, whichever whichever cable program uh, did bizarre. Anyway, um, it's it's it it is. It's, there's something nice about, especially at a time when like MTV was just getting started. Um, most of these bits are five minutes or less. It's just like really funny scene. Move on to the next funny thing. Yeah. Um, with the uh, I guess the comicus and. Um, and the uh, French Revolution taking up the the largest bulk. Mm-hmm. I think the French yeah, Revolution the, the, was a little too long. 
Yeah, the, the Roman yeah. Empire bit is the longest uh, of the segments. It goes like 40, 42 minutes, I think. But if you think about it, that's also broken up into different scenes, sure. which makes it a little bit lighter. Even then when they go to Judea and, you know, break into... The road movie sequence. Exactly. Which is yes. on the road to Judea. And it was just awesome. And then, you know... Them, then going to the Last Supper and having the one comedian who goes, you know, it's just awesome. <laughs> I remember him from the McDonald's commercials. I don't remember him from anything else when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, he was not above using like a current trendy, you know, funny thing. Oh, no. Th- from what I heard, that, that comedian is, he appeared on Lucy. He appeared on yeah. all these different shows. The... uh yeah, I I like the sketch comedy of it, and I like the 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 depth of the jokes and how many there are thrown at you. So considering it's really just, I mean, he's got the only writing credit in this. This is not written by a team of people. Now, granted, there might be some underwriters in, involved here, but for the most part, he's responsible for like everything. And and there are like, and the jokes are not only verbal, visual. But in the background, you know, the whole Roman scene, it's always fun to see where the V's are, like where there should be used, you know, like it's just, I mean, that stuff is, is amazing. The name of streets, like there's just everything about this as, as, as uh, got detail of it, which is amazing to me. And I think, you know, when I was, there was a lot of comedies coming out in the eighties, of course, comedies come out like all the time, but, but um, I always found this is going to sound so elitist, but I always found American comedy kind of subpar to British comedy. I, I always really like, like really associated more with British comedy, even though I started watching British comedy with Benny Hill. Um, uh, but by this time I'm, I'm into Monty Python. Right. And this, this is as close as I can uh, think of to a movie that really kind of comes up to Monty Python standards in terms of sketch comedies and telling jokes and, 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 and that kind of thing. And it's funny that you say that because history of the world part one is kind of very along the lines of life of Brian. I, or, yep. Yep. There's a little bit of life of Brian in there. There's a little bit of, yeah. Meaning yeah. of life. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's all kind of there ish. Um, and maybe it wasn't an homage to epic films, but more an homage to Monty Python. And there was uh, a, there was a thing about making, you know, like, uh, um, Roman, like, uh, Roman comedies then. Cause I think around this time we have Dudley Moore with Holy Moses too, or yeah. Holy Moses. I Holy say. Moses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, maybe some others I'm missing. Well, there's, you know, there was a lot of that going around because at the exact same time you had the movie Caveman. Yep, yep, that's right. Uh, so you had, had that, and um, Quest for Fire had uh, had just like won hilarious. the, you know, it just been <laughs> the, involved the best with the comedy. Oscars. Yeah, with, yeah with, Quest yeah, for Fire is know. one of the best comedies ever made. <laughs> Hysterically funny movie. Um, so ranks right up there with Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds for funniest movies. <laughs> um, I still maintain that's a comedy. Uh, yeah, so I mean, no, but there was a lot of a, a lot of the same theming uh, that was going on. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if, if pirate movies, uh, had been around more during that time, we might've seen something involving piracy as well. Yeah. I, you know, and I, you know, I think to their credit and to Mel's credit, I mean, he knows, 
you know, when to end it to be quick and out, like he definitely could have gone longer, right? Like this movie's only like 90 minutes. Yeah. And it's done. So before you know it, it's over. And you're kind of like, yeah, but I want to see his take on World War One or World War II, the, you know, or whatever, you know, like. Um, Where will I get World War Two jokes from Mel Brooks? He doesn't do those enough. No. <laughs> go just go watch To Be or Not to Be. You'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> uh, at, least, at least that one, that time period's covered, right? Excuse me, is this England? Oh my God! Anyway, <laughs> I, that, I, 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 as much as I love uh, uh, Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs and and History of the World, to be or not to be is my favorite Mel Brooks film. Nice, very underrated yeah. movie, genuinely. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. I definitely worth a rewatch. Uh, well, yeah, and he didn't even know like uh, direct or write that one. You can tell this is his last uh, really yeah. directed movie for a long stretch. You can tell like this feels like him putting everything possible the kitchen sink on the screen and then he's just like i gotta take a break and like i don't know produce the fly or whatever (laughs) (laughs) produce the elephant man that's how we got john hurt in the film right right before you yeah so well i wonder if it was that or if it was the fact that it didn't really do that well um i mean it was you know brooks's highest opening um but it had a. It didn't. I, I'm surprised actually when I was reading that critically, this movie just tanked. Um, and I mean, I you can expect that from you know crude comedies or whatever. But I mean, even to this day, it's only got a 58 percent or so uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, at the time, it was voted for like as worst picture of uh, the uh, Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, um, even the f- most painfully unfunny uh, worst song nomination, which I'm like, I'm sorry, but the uh, Inquisition song is one of my favorites of his. Ever. It's, like, on, think, it's on my phone. That, it literally is on my phone. I think the song is great and the musical number is brilliant. Now, granted, it's, again, it's an homage to things, uh, something that doesn't exist anymore. Like, you know, the 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 musical, big musical numbers, especially with the, the, the water dancing um but i mean what a what a what a love letter a comedic love letter to that sort of scene sequence and uh and yeah the the inquisition song is like i said one of my favorites oh yeah when, when you yeah. see the inquisition you think of a busby berkeley especially with the water dancers and you know everything it's just it's just awesome and then they pop up on the menorah with the sparklers on their heads it's it's beautiful. It is. That's that is the most element that, like you were mentioning, Mike, about the whole Monty Python connection. That feels the most straight out of like a Monty Python bit. That could easily yeah. just be Eric Idle instead of Mel Brooks. Well, yeah. and, and look, I mean, Python had I thought had sealed the deal on Inquisition jokes. You know, I thought like, okay, <laughs> nobody's going to make a funnier joke than the Spanish Inquisition uh, bit from Monty Python. And here, Mel Brooks goes, "Hold my beer, right." <laughs> Hold my man of Shevitz. Um, interestingly enough, this movie was not the only one in the top 10 for that year that did a Busby Berkeley bit. Really? Because number nine is the great Muppet caper. Oh, yes. Which does an entire routine for that. Uh, that What a great year. Singing the greatest of, of Miss Piggy. What a great year that was for movies. Um, uh, So many good movies came out that year. But um, yes, uh, um, they said that, you know, Roger Ebert gave this movie two out of four uh, stars. Uh, Cisco was a little bit 
uh, kinder gave it three. Um, and those two guys were like the, you know, the, the reviewers that you paid attention to back in those days. Um, and, um, you know, it was considered disappointing, um, uh, by the studios and everything like that. So I do wonder if, um, you know, the studios had kind of cooled on Mel Brooks for a while and he had it, maybe found it difficult to get, uh, you know, his next movie made. Well, the thing is Mel always went up against the studios with any of his movies. He always took chances and the, the studios wanted to change every single one of his films, but he basically thumbed his nose at them. And that was, that's Mel. And you could, there's documentaries about it, about, you know, God, Blazing Saddles, how much, you know, they wanted to change. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Even this movie, if you read, some, watch some of the extras, he talks about it. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a combination of, I agree, kind of the disappointment at the time. And then also, I think coming off of the 70s, he was like tirelessly working on a bunch of different movies. He was like, what, five or six movies over the course of like the 80s. And then like after this point, I could see him wanting to cool down and just like not have a huge responsibility of a film for a while until yeah. he decided to bring it to the world. He That's starts at his first movie is The Producers and uh, 10 years uh, to that. Uh, 1977 he comes out with high anxiety and yeah he makes uh, all those movies in that span of time and then you're right he takes a break for about four years or whatever uh does history of the world part one and then takes a break for five or six years to come out with space balls i do find i find it funny that uh you know uh space balls and i think you could see a shift then because at that point now all of a sudden you know, thanks to Airplane, the success of movies like Airplane, all of a sudden those kind of movies are uh, are working. And it seems like his movies post uh, this movie are more tailored to that kind of humor. Slips more into the parody of pop culture uh, as opposed to the, you know, these are the things that I loved and I'm going to poke fun at them, but I'm doing it from a point of love. Um, I think it's one of the things that's missed out. You, when you have a movie like Airplane, where they're all told to play it as serious as possible, uh, to a movie like Date Movie, where the whole thing is, is if we can get everybody at some point in time to look at the camera, as if to say, hey, look, we're doing a movie and you're watching it. Um, if Brooks or anybody in the film looked to the camera to say something to the audience, it was damn funny you were being pulled into the scene as opposed to, Hey, we're breaking the fourth wall because that's a funny thing to oh, do. Oh God. Yeah. How many times it's good to be the king. It's good to be. the king. Yeah. And that's where, you know, it's funny. Cause that's where that came from. Like, like yeah. that wasn't a thing before this movie. People didn't say it's good to be the king, you know, nope. not like that anyway. No. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was definitely different, I, but I do find it like, yeah. So the last, you know, the last bit of the trailer that we get for part two is Jews in space, which I have to admit, I, I think that 30 seconds probably cost more than the previous, all the rest of the movie combined, <laughs> those special effects to do that. Um, but then this next movie is Spaceballs, which is not exactly Jews in space, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a star Wars uh, tribute that I think people wanted because coming off this, I think everybody wanted that they wanted more who saw this yeah i did oh yeah but as you said before we even started recording 
the Jews in Space song is basically the Men in Tight song. Yeah, it becomes that. Yeah, it's the same song with different lyrics. Mm -hmm. And so, so he's even he's even referencing himself. Exactly. So. Well, I, the the uh, uh, Inquisition is a, a coda of uh, Springtime for Hitler. True. Yeah. So, you know. So, but but yeah, he's. I'm not saying he's limited. Yeah. <laughs> but he's limited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it really. He's got like his the... moments. He's a good boy. <laughs> I, I think it's a thing of like after this, you do. I agree, kind of get this. He has a lack of interest in like the loving parody of certain things. When you get to like uh, Robin Hood Men Tights or Dracula Dead and loving it, especially, I think it's where you really start getting it. It feels a bit thin, and it feels like not, his heart not, quite isn't in it as much. Not just thin, but safe. Like yeah. PG thirteen. Like you know, because that's going to get more people into the seats because you can market a PG thirteen film yeah. over an R. Yeah, you're not going to like. Yeah, the studio is not going to say like we want an R rated satire of Star Wars. We don't want that. We want a satire of Star Wars, but we want everybody who saw Star Wars to go see it. And most of the jokes from Robin Hood Men in Tights that weren't Robin Hood Prince of Thieves specific were all used in his television show when things were bad. Mm. Uh, which was his Robin Hood television series uh, that was canceled after less than a season. Right, right. So, but uh, this movie still remains. I think it, um, you know, quote unquote, holds up. Uh, it is uh, still one of my favorites, uh, not only of his, but just as far as comedies goes. It's just uh, fun. And it, um, uh, any last words uh, on this movie or final words as far as this discussion goes? Uh, Thomas, anything that we missed or, or what do you want to point out? Um, you mentioned briefly about the trailers, but I think that's the best summation of like when this movie works perfectly. It's just very simple, quick, stupid gags like Hitler on ice or a Viking funeral where they just take off their hats and they have the horns and everything. I think that it, it, that encapsulates what I love about this one. And I think makes it, I would say higher of the mid tier Brooks. And also I would say one of the better, just consistent sketch movies, because sketch movies aren't also a thing at all anymore. And when you go yeah. back to them, they are far more uneven than I would argue this is to any degree. I think it's because there's so much love and dedication from the entire cast and Brooks in particular that it it's one of those where, you know, you're not, you're going to have plenty of jokes that don't land, but within seconds you'll get a one that solidly lands right after. Yeah. Just wait a second. Yeah. If you don't like this one, don't worry. There's more coming. <laughs> Take these 10, pick one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Alex, what you? Uh, what about you? Final thoughts? First of all, I'm so glad I'm not the first one to mention Hitler on ice. Because uh, <laughs> that was making me real nervous. Um, the, we, 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 didn't, we, we glazed over it and we didn't talk about it. But the conversations between uh, uh, Louis and uh, Count de Monet uh, played brilliantly by Harvey Korman. Oh, so um, so certainly needs to be done. Because... One of one of my favorite lines in the movie is, "Sir, you look like the piss boy, and you look like a piece of shit." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> simply because I mean, it's just like like the speed on the response is is because the joke is obviously, "Wait, you two look alike. It's the prince and the pauper," uh, and instead he's you know he's completely offended uh, by uh, by being uh, told that he looks like the piss boy. Uh, so I mean, I just think that sequence is insanely funny. Um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's not just the visual gags, which most work, but it's the timing. This is a movie that you could watch 
from an academic level on the timing of comedy. Um, because it's it's the reactions to lines that make them funnier. Yeah, and it's and it's done by professionals. Yeah. Like real professional comedians who studied. They're not just funny. They didn't just make like a lot of money being comedy. These are these are guys who wrote the book on comedy. And then some of that I think is lost. You know, now. Yeah, because now all those comedies are being done by Wayans brothers who have never read the book on comedy. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, what about you? Oh, I hated it. I never want to see this film ever again. <laughs> it's garbage. It's garbage, I tell you. No, it was – there's just wonderful – it's just – it's such a great movie. Like Alex said, it's all about the timing in it. It's just wop, 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 wop. There is no downtime. There is not really any time to – you know, every little scene that you see, it's just like – the next thing, the next thing, you know, even, you know, when they're panning through Rome, you know, they're going, you know, they're going, what was it? Like pipes, pipes, you know, you know, they're talking about, you know, we're talking about irrigation pipes and, you know, talking about that and, you know, and it's Pat McCormick doing it and it's awesome. You know, there's these known comedians and these are all experts at the films and it's just, it's just the timing was just amazing in this and it's just a fun story. You put your brain on hold, but you don't want it to cause you want to laugh your ass off during it. <laughs> yeah. The various vendor bits, both in Rome and in France, uh, I thought were really good. Um, Even the beggars like, are begging from the beggars. <laughs> nothing. I have absolutely nothing here. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Monty Python feel. Oh, yes. very much so. Rats. <laughs> I've got rats. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, it's been great fun revisiting this. Uh, I'm not sure which of us recommended this one or suggested this one, but I appreciate it because it's been, it had been too long since I was able to revisit this. And, and uh, you know, the streaming services out there didn't make it easy. That's for sure. Uh, good luck finding it on a streaming service. Um, I had to, I had to really hunt and, and pay a little bit more than I wanted to, but it was totally worth it because I will be, I will not wait another 20 years before I see it again. Um, it is, it is a great experience and I definitely recommend people out there. Um, if you can find it, watch it and, uh, and, and it's, de- it's totally worth it. So thanks guys. Uh, we will be right back to, um, close out the show. Inquisition. Let's begin the Inquisition. Look out, Sam. We have a mission to convert the Jews. We're gonna teach them wrong from right. We're gonna help them see the light and make an offer that they can't refuse. Hey, everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. A couple of weeks ago, Foo Fighters played their first live show in about a year and a half. They played the Global Citizen Vax Life, the concert to reunite the world, which was a show dedicated to promoting globally equitable distribution of the COVID vaccine. And to mark the occasion, they brought out a very special friend with Brian Johnson, formerly of ACDC, and they rocked out to Back in Black. Brian looked pretty good. He has not been on stage too much since he had the hearing problems that uh, knocked him out of the ACDC lineup and put Axl Rose into the ACDC lineup for a while. 
They looked really good, and he didn't sound too bad, all things considering. Uh, Eddie Vedder also played this show. Eddie Vedder is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Brian Johnson is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of ACDC. Dave Grohl is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Nirvana. Where is she going with this? Wednesday, we get to find out if the rest of the Foo Fighters get to follow Dave into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if Dave becomes uh, the latest member of what we call the Clyde McFadder or Multiple Inductee Club. Uh, The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will announce their class of 2021 uh, Wednesday, May 12th at 8 a.m. Log on to rockhall.com if you want to hear the announcement. And we will be talking about that announcement next week here on the ESO podcast. I have written about my predictions for this year's class on the blog. You can find it at the blog section of esonetwork.com and also at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. Cannot wait to catch y'all next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Welcome to a geek girl's take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the bad batch premiere. Bad batch started and there are a couple episodes in at this point. So I figured I would talk about the premiere mini movie that started off the series. I'm really excited to see more of the bad batch. And it would seem the series starts right off with order 66 happening and their struggle to get somewhere safe since they don't have the inhibitor chip in their head and still have free will. This episode starts off with a familiar face, Kanan, as a Padawan, bringing in Clone Force 99 to help with the battle. And then Kanan's escape after he watches his master shot down by the clones. Which kind of changes his story from the comics and the book series, which are still canon. But we'll see how that's handled, I guess. We get to see Hunter's confusion about what's going on because he didn't get the order and Crosshair's chip seems to be working and we get to see his interaction with the rest of his clone trooper friends because he's trying to follow the order. We see the group return to Kamino and their confusion about what's going on. We meet Omega, a young girl working for the aliens on Kamino. Omega seems to have really taken to Clone Force 99 and ends up helping them start a food fight in the mess hall before Tarkin comes and has them do battle tests and then sends them on a mission to dispose of remaining Separatist units that end up being people that fled when the Empire took over. We see Saul Guerrera and others and we learn some information about what really happened when the Empire took over. The clones realize that this new empire isn't something they want to be a part of, but they also need to get back and get Omega, who we have just found out is a defective clone herself. They go back to Kamino, they get captured, Crosshair's chip gets enhanced so he will follow orders and be super mean bad guy-like, and he tries to kill the rest of Clone Force 99. They all escape, and they start their adventure. 
for the entire series that we're going to be watching in the next few weeks. I really enjoyed this mini movie and I'm excited to see a younger Fennec and other characters that they may be throwing at us this season because I know we're going to get a lot of surprises about what happened after the Clone Wars ended and I'm really excited to see that. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here. Tom, you did it, dude. Really appreciate it. You joining us tonight. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, well, coming on. Yeah, it was always good to see you. And you want to shout out about anything, my friend? Well, of course, uh, there's my podcast on the ESO Network, Double Edge, Double Bill, uh, where we... Uh, every week cover a good and a bad movie randomly selected at the end of the previous episode. And uh, this week we have a very special guest who, uh, let me look in my little list. Oh, it's Mike Gordon of this show. Oh, oh God, he'll go anywhere. Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, they, they put me through the ringer. That's true. Yes, we had him on to discuss non-Marvel or DC comic book adaptations. And our good movie was Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. And our bad movie was The Crow, Wicked Prayer. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Man, I thought the geek seek was harsh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was totally worth it. It was totally, uh, it was really fun being on the show. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it coming out. That is awesome. And of course, our movie guy, Alex Autry. Thank you as always, my friend. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so much fun to, to get to talk uh, really, really good films um, like this one. Oh, it's always fun talking movies with you. And, you know, you'll be back soon to talk about more stuff. Oh, probably. Oh, yeah. I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> almost like it's summer. Well, it kind of feels... Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I know. This, this was supposed to be our summer. Yes. It was. It yeah. was. Yeah. In an alternate reality, it is still. So it's okay. Our summer movie preview, part one. Yeah. yeah. In, in that, there isn't the part two. No. Uh, no. In, in that reality, actually, we've already seen Black Widow and a couple other Marvel films. Yeah, yeah. So, anything you want to shout out about, my friend? I want to give congratulations to a rather successful Kickstarter. Uh, and that is uh, Make More MST3K. Um, they had an initial goal of $2 million dollars. Uh, which they raised in 24 hours uh, and with 36,000 backers, including myself, they managed to raise $6.5 million. They will be putting together their own streaming service. They will be doing 12 episodes, two of which will be hosted by Joel himself. Uh, I believe Rift Tracks is going to be doing a special live uh, uh, Rift Tracks for uh, the Gizmoplex. Um, so it looks like through the fans' help, the the tapes will continue to be circulated. So that is awesome. That is really really cool. And of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, thank you as always, my friend. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? I do. I have to give a shout out to some uh, shows, uh, fellow shows on the ESO network that have. Uh, um, celebrated some milestones, including Thomas's own show. He didn't even mention that when I was on the show. It's his third, their third anniversary. They just yes. uh, uh, 
they're a little bit past 150. Ooh. So, uh, so yeah, they've been doing it for three years. So congratulations, you guys, on that. Um, also, uh, the Metal Geeks are about to, their next episode will be um, episode number 200. Their next release will be episode 200. Um, uh, the ESO Board Silly has uh, been in, we've been Board Silly for one year. Uh, we just released our 13th episode. So we've been doing this for a year. Um, but first, let's talk nerdy. Just celebrated episode 50 with a two-part episode. And Soulforge just celebrated episode 200. So uh, that's a lot of uh, great landmarks for a lot of great shows on our network. So, Well, Sean uh, has so much more time now that he's not doing Rusted Robot. He's going to be <laughs> you know, pointing all towards well, I'm the sure Soulforge. he's already got four of the shows in development. Oh, he is. I'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> off the air. So, but it's cool because, you know, that means like the shows that are on our network are shows that are committed and they're here to stay and uh, they've been doing it for a while. So it's, it's great to see that. That is awesome. That is really cool that we are, you know, have our network shows are growing. And, you know, with the addition, of course, of the uh, Blurred Nerds and we have another show right around the corner joining us. So it should be a lot of, you know, big things happening with ESO. So pay attention, listen up, and you're going to hear some great things with maybe some events might actually be happening with ESO. You never know. We got some fun stuff coming. So we do got planning things. We haven't just been sitting around throwing things at a dartboard and hoping something sticks, you know, as we like to say with ESO. So it's a good thing. Uh, big shout out real quick to our friends over at Infinite Reality Comic Shop. They actually got to be on TV. Well, they're going to be on TV, kind of, sort of, because they are on a Disney, I think a Disney Plus show. They are. They did some filming over at the uh, store over in Tucker, and they closed for the, the day and um, talked to Jamie about it yesterday, and she said... It couldn't have been nicer. They basically actually had to f uh, film the outside at a different location because it was too busy on the road behind them. So they actually took another, like a another storefront further down and put their sign, made up a version of their sign on it and everything. But they used the actual inside of the store. So it was. It's pretty awesome that they were able to do that. I just love seeing that kind of stuff, especially around Atlanta, where they're doing all the different filmings of everything. You could you drive down the street and you see all the yellow signs pointing with the different codes, and you have to look up real quick online what they're filming. It's like, oh, what's this one? Oh, Stranger Things. Oh my God. Oh, what Wandavision? Oh, what? what? You know, it's just it's just awesome what you could be seeing filming and everything. Yeah. I know down the street from where I live, they've been doing a lot of the Cobra Kai stuff in it. And you know, so it's pretty cool. And it's just, it's awesome that you can see all this happening. And then when you're watching TV, you know, you're sure to see Bobby Nash in at least one episode you're watching or something. So, <laughs> which is pretty darn cool. So definitely it's, worth checking out and you know it's just a fun little it's almost like a board game you could play you know like geography where's it being filmed what's being filmed type thing so it's pretty darn awesome so definitely i believe the, I believe the uh i don't know what it's called but i believe the series that's going to be on um disney plus that uh infinite reality is going to appear in is uh, rl stein uh series. yes so. i know it had the code jb i think so with um, it so that should be cool um but yeah 
uh, I'll look for that to be sure. Yep. Definitely check it out. And, you know, definitely like seeing, you know, like we've said, where people are or whatever, like in Doom Patrol, downtown Lawrenceville is in it half the time. So it's pretty cool to see. So it's neat. It is a neat experience. And, you know, whenever you watch a movie and you see, oh, I know that place. I know that place. I know that place. It's, it's always a great thing to do. And then they go, how the heck did they get from there to there, you know, that quickly? I wish Rush Hour was like that in real life or something like that. So anyway, um, join us again next week. We have a great show. A fa fan favorite is coming back next week. Um, we've been doing, of course, over the last year, the best shit we've ever eaten. We're doing a twist on that this time. We are doing the best shit we've ever drinking. So it's going to be talking not just about alcoholic drinks. It's going to be the nectar of the gods. Whatever we, Mike Gordon comes up with with a list, it's going to be a blast to talk about. And we have a great crew already lined up. So please check us out. We definitely always love talking about you know food and drink on the show. As you can tell by our body types, we definitely love eat, talking about eating and drinking on the show and being merry, of course. So, as we like to say, you know, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Yes, we're not too proud to beg. As we like to say, please listen, listen. Listen, or we're going to tell Alexa to just keep on listening to Earth Station One and put it on a loop so that way you're stuck listening to us. On behalf of myself, Michael Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, of course, Alex Autry, and of course, Thomas Marinari, thank you so, so much. And it's always great to chat with you guys. We will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Love your family, get your shots, get vaccinated. Please, we all want to see each other at Dragon Con. Please, 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 please. Until then, peace, and we'll talk to you next time. Then we're done. Yay. 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 We're done. We're out of here. Bye. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Our Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.